Welcome to the Home Spun Hiak. Today we've got a guest, and we're going to be talking about some really interesting stuff. So I'm pretty pumped. Uh, our guest is. You want to go, Bobby? Bobby? Yeah, Bobby. Okay. Bobby Lease, a friend of mine uh, in the PhD program up here in, uh, at UMB, Baltimore. How's it going, Kyle? It's going well. I'm excited to talk about uh, what we've got lined up for today also, because I've, as you know, got a pretty big interest in this subject, although I don't know, you know the ins and outs specifically, just more of an interest in continuing to learn about it. And I think with Bobby's help, we'll be able to clarify a few things, but I didn't know if you might want to give a little intro to, to kind of who you are and what you're studying. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as Nick said, I'm Bobby. Uh, I do know Nick from the molecular medicine program here at UMB. Um, I am studying brain development right now, um, specifically neuropsychiatric disorders like schizophrenia, um, modeling it in stem cells and seeing what is happening at the stem cell level when you are developing to give rise to schizophrenic-like symptoms and what's going wrong. Um with that being said, I also just have a general interest in brain structure, uh, brain wiring, circuitry, things of that nature, which lends its way to our topics for today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it definitely does. Um, yeah, so Kyle and I were talking a little bit about like LSD and bike date literally i think i've mentioned bike day in my life now like five times which which maybe a month ago i had no idea what bike day was would never have known to reference it and uh, i was educated by mr bobby lease himself so uh yeah kyle was talking about mentioned bike day and uh i thought you know why not bring bobby on because He's, he knows a lot about this kind of stuff um, just through his research and just being interested in general. So, you know, why not, right? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I don't know why we uh, the subject was, you know, brought up last time, but I think we kind of went into a deep dive on at least what we knew um, yeah. <laughs> about it, which is not much, but I'm certainly, like I said, very interested in in the subject of, um, I guess, psychedelic substances um, and their origins and their usage throughout the history of civilization and um, maybe just the history in the United States as well, kind of how it began and where we are kind of right now with research and, and development with these sorts of things so yeah i think that's i think that's a good place to start actually uh bobby do you want to talk a little bit about like what johns hopkins is doing and stuff like that in psychedelic research yeah yeah for sure um so hopkins just recently opened up their psychedelic research facility um they i think the main substance that they're looking at is psilocybin um and i think there's five PIs now and maybe like 10 postdocs that are PIs are principal investigators in case anybody doesn't know this isn't the science podcast so Uh, (laughs) yeah uh, yeah uh, Kyle knows but you know for for our audience of about I don't know what are we at now like a couple million 
billion maybe close to a billion <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got pretty much audience. every continent tuned in <laughs> yeah for sure all eight continents yeah. <laughs> go ahead yeah. <laughs> on the flat earth yes yeah, on the flat earth <laughs> for all eight continents out there <laughs> so psilocybin yeah hopkins is mainly looking at psilocybin and just seeing the benefits of psychedelic and natural treatments for disorders that right now big pharma are dominating for no reason other than the government doesn't really want to push natural products. Um, so I think Hopkins, um, I think Stanford is opening up a facility. There are a lot of facilities that are opening up to look at natural remedies and psychedelics in curing a lot of the mental diseases that we do have like depression. Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty coincidental actually that we're, we kind of lined up this discussion because I don't know if you guys saw, um, I think just a couple of days ago, uh, Paul Stamets was on Joe Rogan. Yeah, so you posted about that on Instagram. So I went to the podcast. I listened to the whole thing. And then after listening to it, I was like, Bobby has to listen to this. <laughs> so I sent him the podcast and he listened to it. So we're all we're all on the oh, same okay. page with that. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty coincidental because he talks about in particular psilocybin studies and how many universities have, have approved legitimate clinical trials going on right now across North America, um, right. like even Harvard. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of researching their, the effects, like you said on, you know, anything from addiction, anxiety, PTSD, depression. And I guess he mentioned Alzheimer's, which I'd never considered or heard of before, but it's, I guess, still early days, but nonetheless, I didn't know if you guys had heard of Paul Stamets before and his sort of impact on the mushroom world as a whole, not just psychedelics, but that's certainly a big part of his research today. I had never heard of him. Had you, Bobby? I had only heard of him through microdosing. I hadn't okay. actually looked into his mushroom studies. Okay. So, so what is microdosing? Right. So um, microdosing it's, so there's a threshold with psychedelics and if you take above a certain threshold, which for shrooms, as he mentioned on the podcast, on the Joe Rogan podcast, threshold for shrooms is about a gram or so. Mm -hmm. uh, threshold for LSD is up for debate, depends on the person, but it's normally around 50 micrograms or so. If you take a dose below that threshold, particularly maybe like a tenth of a gram of mm -hmm. shrooms or something, it is considered non-perceptual, so you're not going to get the hallucinations. You're not going to get the movement that you normally would when you do take, when you go on a trip, essentially. But you are going to get some of the neurological benefits of it, like the neurogenesis that he talked about. And all in all, you're just going to feel happier. Yeah. Or Yeah, he right. said it helped yeah. with, like, you know, overall kind of creativity sparking creativity and that leads to happiness and vice versa and that that so far they've noticed and i guess he has a recommended you know i guess four days doing it three days off and he stacks it with niacin and certain other people have their own remedies for microdosing but 
Um, I don't know. I, I heard of it before he talked about it. Um, I can't remember where, but I just remember reading an article talking about the effects of microdosing and how a lot of people in Silicon Valley um, do it, I guess, on a regular basis. And that's kind of the peak of creativity, I guess, certainly in the tech world anyway. Right. So um, with that, yeah, if you think of Adderall, so a lot of college students take Adderall to do better on their finals, to stay up all night, to write the paper, something like that. Microdosing would be like uh, just another form of a person taking Adderall to get a performance enhancement in cognition. Um, so particularly with LS, microdosing LSD is normally associated with increased productivity, increased focus, where microdosing uh, psilocybin or shrooms is typically associated with just more empathy, more sympathy, mm. um, better communication, creativity, things of that nature. So does it affect, okay. I guess, different areas of the brain then? It's, I don't actually know. They are both serotonergic in nature, so they do both act on um, the serotonin receptor. I don't think we know how they elicit different effects yet. Uh -huh. um, even looking at some of the chemical structures, they're very similar in structure, but they produce vastly different effects, and we don't really know why. And that goes back to we don't know what's actually causing some of the hallucinations. So if we don't understand it at the macro level, I don't think that we're going to be able to narrow it down to the micro level yet. And over how, how long has it been that, uh, I guess, people in general in society have started to kind of open up to, to shrooms and LSD and things of that nature? I'm assuming it's relatively recent, right? Yeah. With back in the 1960s, there was a lot of interest, particularly uh -huh. around Woodstock, if <laughs> oh, you can imagine. I why. <laughs> and... You know, we were kind of like, wow, everybody's so happy. Let's stop doing this, you know, because yeah. that makes sense. Can't allow that. Um, but it wasn't until recently. I think the earliest studies showing benefit came from the ketamine studies back in, I think the earliest study I could find was 2001, mm -hmm. that they actually started looking at ketamine, uh, what it does to your brain, and maybe some possible antidepressant effects of it and then it wasn't until 2006 or 7 that trials really got underway looking at ketamine as a potent antidepressant then once that ball kind of got rolling and people were like okay you know maybe we can revisit some of these psychedelics some of these trips that people have go on that change their lives maybe they can actually be beneficial so in the past maybe five ten years we have really started to open up the field to other psychedelics like psilocybin and LSD. I think psilocybin, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, and I, I guess they're already seeing some pretty profound results with psilocybin studies already. I'm sure you know more about that in, in more detail than me, but I, I know that Paul Stamets mentioned in one study that they showed that 10 out of 15 people who had a cigarette addiction stopped smoking, 
uh, cigarettes after after a year and ten out of fifteen. That's a pretty big, uh, pretty big number for something that's incredibly addicting like cigarettes. So um, there's there's actually some real results, and that's why more and more universities are um, picking up this um, and doing clinical trials. Right. Yeah. Um, psilocybin especially um, is considered more of a spiritual type journey than LSD can be sometimes. Mm. So people who do take psilocybin, since they're seeing significant results, it's really opening up the floodgates. And I think it's just really important that you pointed out 10 out of 15. That's, I don't know the exact numbers on nicotine patches or other addiction treatments, but 66% is very significant. Yeah. I can't imagine any other treatment, you know, coming close to that success rate for cigarettes, you know? Right. Right. I think, uh, I think that looking at psilocybin for addiction, looking at all psychedelics for addiction is going to be very important, especially something like MDMA even. Mm. Uh, I think back in 2017, MDMA was awarded the breakthrough drug of the year award by the FDA. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's being, um, it's being used, especially in PTSD and addiction because both of those things stem from a place of fear in the human mind. Uh Um, addiction, whether it be alcohol addiction or PTSD from soldier coming back, both of those disorders are rooted in a fear of something happening with addiction. You might have used alcohol to escape whatever situation you found yourself in. Mm -hmm. And now you're addicted because it's your only escape. What MDMA anecdotally at the molecular level, we're still uncertain of it, but anecdotally, we think that MDMA lowers the fear response to allow a person to, revisit some of those memories in a you know therapy assisted way psychotherapy and by walking through the memories that their addiction stems from they're able to make peace with themselves and make peace with their conscious and moving forward they don't get that fear they don't feel the need to resort back to alcohol because they're at peace with the situation that thrust them into the addiction in the first place. Yeah. I think they highlight like a deeper, more inward look at yourself and um, why you do the things you do. And it's a more personal therapeutic um, highlighted approach rather than just taking a, you know, pharmaceutical substance that, uh, just sort of blocks the receptors and then they send you on your way. And the bigger piece of it is kind of just dealing with your own emotions and connecting everything so that you ultimately realize that this is harming my body and this is preventing me from being my full potential. And I think, you know, like you said, on a guided therapeutic sort of basis when you take these, um, things like LSD and, um, MDMA, psilocybin, it's the whole picture. And that's why people are able to find, you know, why they're doing this unlock deep rooted 
um, things that were maybe traumatic in their past, and then they're able to kind of come full circle and close um, that portion of their life so they're able to move on. So I think like that's something that regular drugs that we have used to treat these things don't provide that full scope, that full picture that these are, we're now able to discover are providing. Yeah. And you have to wonder with kind of the evolutionary sense from these particular mushrooms or just anything that we're getting kind of quote unquote naturally, as opposed to like a pharmaceutical alternative is that potentially our ancestors uh, may have consumed some of these and we may have actually created some of these highly beneficial neural patterns or just total body patterns that came out of the continuous consumption of some of these things. And somewhere along the line, maybe we stop for whatever reason, or we, or maybe it's recorded in history and we just don't recognize that, you know, Darwin may have, <laughs> may, may have been stuck in his room and he never left his room. And he thought that he was on the, on the, on the ship, the, the Beagle, and he thought he was seeing birds, but he was actually tripping the whole time. And he wrote this beautiful book that ended up changing the course of, of evolutionary history. But um, yeah, I, I I wonder if there is some sort of a crosstalk between kind of the history of our ancestry and the impact of all these different quote unquote drugs, really just molecules. I think and that's that's something that I'm starting to kind of come to terms with calling things molecules as opposed to drugs, because pharmaceutical drugs compared to psychedelic drugs, I mean, they're all molecules. That's what it is. So when you when you put that negative uh, stigma on the word drug, then, uh, it, it started, yeah, especially starting to rub me the wrong way. Yeah. And especially with psilocybin and, um, you know, DMT, things like that, that are naturally, naturally occurring substances found throughout the world mm. in nature. I mean, it's, it's only common sense to think that people, early man, even, you know, consume these, these molecules and found some sort of benefit to using them or, you know, wrote about it and kind of passed it along throughout time. Um, <clears throat> and that kind of comes to a little bit what we talked about last week, but I don't know, Bobby, you might know a little bit more about it or you might be familiar with Terrence McKenna. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. he's aware. <laughs> okay. I, I figured that. Um, but I, I read Food of the Gods um, a while ago, and he he really goes into depth about, you know, talking about certain civiliz- civilizations and cultures throughout history that have recorded their usage of um, ritualistic consumption of uh, mushrooms, psilocybin, DMT, things like that. And, um, his kind of stoned ape theory of how human beings eventually kind of gained consciousness or expanded their brain size through the use of, um, eating mushrooms. Um, but you might, you might be able to expound upon that a little bit better than me, but I just thought that was a fascinating take on, you know, that sort of theory or hypothesis. That is a very interesting theory. Um, and one that has root in some scientific evidence that we have. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I can't make a direct relation to it, but what we do know is that drugs like psilocybin, uh, I guess we're not calling them drugs anymore, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you call like whatever a, you want. Psilocybin or other psychedelics do increase connectivity in your brain. And that increased connectivity is associated with more creativity and just ways, different ways of thinking. So to take that back to when we were primates, you know, just still evolving. Well, we're always evolving. Uh, We've stopped, folks. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. This is as good as it gets. But uh, yeah, if we uh, if we think back to that period, if these early, early humans or these apes, Neanderthals were consuming psilocybin consistently and they were increasing all these connections in their brain, eventually consciousness could have spawned out of those newfound connections. Mm -hmm. So I think it's um, it's an interesting theory that's actually plausible. I don't know if we will ever be able to say for sure right or the other, but it's, I mean, at least it's something, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a complex thing to even think about in the first place, but you know, what other options do we have? I mean, it's just something we may never know totally, like you said, but at least, at least that's something that's providing you know, a suggestion anyway, and that's, you, like you said, somewhat based in science. Could yeah. you imagine, though, if, if assuming that that's true, assuming mm. that the, the consumption of these different molecules led to this growth of consciousness, like this separation from assuming that other animals don't have a consciousness and we're the only ones that have consciousness, that that ingestion of those particular molecules led to the growth of our brain enough, at least kind of the higher order parts of our brain enough to a point where we could separate kind of the mind from the body. Now imagine if we continue to consume those kinds of molecules or we, we found we synthesized or found new molecules and then we end up moving to a whole nother stratosphere and we get a consciousness of our consciousness, you know, (laughs) (laughs) could you, I mean, that would be, that's, that's, that's evolution on another order. That's, that'd be crazy. Unfortunately, I don't believe him, but (laughs) yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know at what point in human history that, you know, these things were kind of thrown to the wayside or we just kind of moved on to something else. But it seems like now maybe the stigma of these things are going away a little bit because of, you know, really accredited universities and are doing trials with them and taking them really seriously in the treatment of incredibly debilitating mental disorders. And, um, I don't know. I just wonder what your take is on, you know, whether one day these might be legal in the U S or if the stigma has diminished or is continuing to diminish a little bit now. Uh, It's a, it's a tricky subject. Um, I think among scientists, at least, especially neurologists, neuroscientists, the stigma is almost completely gone. Yeah. Because a lot of educated people are able to see the benefits and put aside 
just look at things objectively, look at the facts, look at the data that we have and say, okay, psilocybin can be very beneficial to all of humanity, to everybody's mental health. And that's very important. However, even back to marijuana, it's still a schedule one drug mm-hmm. at the federal level. So there's, there's obviously this push back still, or there's a, a big population of people that don't see things that way. Right. And if we can't push forward with something like marijuana that has widespread support, it's going to be even harder to get people on board with something like psilocybin or LSD because people at least have this perception of what trips can do. Yeah. Most of the time it's false conceptions. You know, when you take a single tap of LSD, you're not going to think you're a bird and jump out the window. Right. But that's what some people imagine LSD is going to be like. So they're going to be like, no. And, Mm -hmm. However, I do see in probably in the next couple of decades, I could imagine LSD or psilocybin becoming at least decriminalized in a lot of places. Yeah. And I think recently it was decriminalized in Denver, but you know, yeah. that's Denver. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Denver and Oakland from not. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oakland yeah. too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, a lot of people's perceptions are not necessarily rea- reality with that because I think for so long since, you know, after the 60s, um, there's been a really bad impression that a lot of people want to push on these types of molecules and substances that you are going to freak out and jump out a window and, you know, have a bad trip or do damage to yourself. But is there a risk? I know that you study schizophrenia, but is there a risk of someone taking a drug like LSD and, you know, having a schizophrenic episode if they're, you know, genetically predisposed to schizophrenia? Uh, Yes. And uh, that is definitely something to be taken into consideration. Okay. Um, the, the genetic disposition is interesting. We know that the three big mood disorders, schizophrenia, autism, and bipolar disorder, they have up to an 80% inheritance in families. So if we see anybody in your family that has some of these disorders, there's a big chance that you're going to be at least predisposed to them. But we don't know why. Mm. All of the whole exome sequencing that we've done, all of the DNA You're have to explain that one, what whole exome sequencing is. Because <laughs> um, I know, but the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyle yeah. knows. But, okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, but essentially, we just sequence all your genes. We look at your genes and see what's going on do you have normal copies of the genes do you have maybe a slightly mutated copy that doesn't work as well and we're able to determine that by looking at the sequences of them so whenever we do look at all your genes and see what's normal and what's not 
some diseases like sickle cell anemia, we know the exact gene that causes sickle cell anemia. Huntington's disease, we know the we know exactly what causes Huntington's disease, and it's a trinucleotide repeat in a Huntington protein. But with schizophrenia, with bipolar disorder, with all of the wide-scale studies that we've done on these genes for all these people, nothing has really stuck out. I'm working on one of the most implicated ones in our cohort, which is an Amish cohort. But in terms of these mood disorders versus other diseases that we've done the sequencing for, there's no big genetic predisposition that sticks out to us. And that's been really slowing the progress of, you know, research on these disorders. Um, it's, it's hard to say what is going to make you genetically predisposed coming from like a cellular level. Mm -hmm. However, if you do have a family member who's affected with a mood disorder, then it's probably better to be on the safe side when we think about even just smoking marijuana. Okay. Anything. It's better to be on the safe side, but it's, it's not a hard rule. Right. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I think in the past people have, although it's a, it, it can happen. Like you said, I think, probably the numbers are a lot smaller than what people make it out to be. Um, people want to highlight on the, on the negative aspects of anything, you know, and like you said, even marijuana can trigger potential psychotic episodes in people. And I've never, you know, encountered anyone or met anyone or even heard a story about, you know, anyone I know that have, has experienced something like that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means, you know, maybe we're putting way too much emphasis on, you know, the negative impacts rather than looking at the potential for positive impacts that would be a little, a lot greater chance of happening. Um, you know, when you look at pharmaceuticals, you know, in a commercial um, for any drug, you know, half the commercial is a guy listing off potential side effects and they are just insanely dramatic and <laughs> negative. So, you but know, there's going to be happy when they're saying it. So it's <laughs> yeah, fun. exactly. There's like a person walking through a meadow, you know, like, this could cause, you know, heart disease, you know, all these sorts of things, stroke, you're you going to loss shit of- out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your arm might fall off. Keep know. walking, it's George. Just, yeah. Keep walking. <laughs> Keep frolicking. Uh, so, yeah, I think with anything in life, you know, if you don't take some sort of a risk, you're not going to find the true potential in something. Um, but needless to say, you have to mention it because it is it is a realistic possibility. Possibility, although I think a very small one. But you know, like you said, you want to check your family history anyway. For sure. I mean, two notes on what you just said. The first being, we actually had a conversation. I took um, a uh, pharmacology class, and we okay. actually had a conversation on some of those commercials. 
Oh, yeah. oh nice. All of those side effects are very rarely rooted in clinical trials or scientific evidence. Most of that long list is done by the lawyers. It's oh wow, broad scale. We're going to name any oh, potential wow. effects that you could have that might be correlated with you taking this pharmaceutical, with you taking this drug. That way, we're covered, regardless wow. of you know if you have heartburn. If it's related at all. It, yeah, you know, if you're taking an antidepressant and you have heartburn because you're eating spicy wings every day, they're not going to allow you to sue because you have heartburn now, you know? Wow. So uh, most of those side effects are rooted in uh, legal repercussions and not actual drug side effects. That's interesting. So that's just a fun side note. Yeah, I, did, I didn't even consider that, but that makes total sense. And um, I, anecdotally, I know a person who has bipolar type 2 that I fully diagnosed with it, came on in mid-high school, and she smokes weed pretty much every day, Hmm. and she has gone on trips before, particularly with LSD, and she was hesitant to take a trip or do psychedelics because she did hear that you know she has bipolar and something really bad could go wrong it -hmm. could induce schizophrenia which has some synergy there um so she was hesitant but she decided to go for it and her life has improved since then nothing that she took for her bipolar disorder well, she she was on lithium for a while, and the mood blunting side effect of lithium was too much. And she just said it took her entire personality away, so she didn't want to be on it, mm-hmm. which is understandable. Yeah. So instead of being scared off and not, you know, going on a trip like she wanted to, she just decided to take LSD, and she had significantly lower symptoms of bipolar disorder following the trip now it has since returned and she's back kind of uh cycling through a bit in hypomania however she hasn't had any negative effects with any trips that she's gone on since wow so it's kind of take the warnings like you were saying with a grain of salt it's like Mm -hmm. it is possible but a lot of things are anything can go wrong with anybody yeah. Do you know how long the uh, the effects, the positive effects, lasted for her? Like, if she she had a trip, it went well. Uh, some of her bipolar uh, mood disorders kind of e- evened out a little bit. Like, how long, roughly, that that lasted? Um, at least a couple of weeks. The best. Yeah, it's the powerful. easiest, like straightforward example, is her nails and her fingertips. She would bite her nails and bite her fingertips until literally they would bleed. And she would she was never able to grow her nails out. After her trip, she, she let her nails grow out and she let her skin heal. It, she was physically never able to do it before. But after her trip, she was able to. Once of really high stress, for example, like finals 
came up like at the end of the semester some of those so the nail biting and the skin biting kind of came back a bit however up until that point for at least a month or so she was doing very well with that wow so i think yeah. uh i do think that it, and it's not permanent and i guess mm. with bipolar disorder it is a special case because we know that it's very dependent on stress at this point. So I guess that any high stress environment for a person that does have something like bipolar disorder can induce manic or depressive symptoms. But well, yeah, I think stories like that just amplify our need to continue the research that we're already doing because you know, you can see countless stories on the individual level of people just kind of experimenting on their own. And if we're able to take a closer look, you know, with people, with scientists and trained professionals to kind of nail it down a little bit more focused um, for certain people with certain tendencies or um, diseases, then I think there's a huge potential that's untapped there. Um, and I was just curious, like, you know, on the macro level, cause we talked about micro dosing a little bit, but it would seem like on the macro level, you know, your traditional experience, like say LSD or something where your visual field changes and maybe you see things or you see different, um, so you see things differently that are there um, already, but they're maybe manipulated in, in certain ways or, you know, your visual field changes dramatically. Um, you mean like the, the color or the shape or? The shape, well, mean? like, the sh yeah, anything. The color might be brighter or, you know, a certain image might um, take on a new form. Um just many different changes in your visual field could occur on the macro level. Um, so I've been told. Uh, and is that something that goes on in your brain? Like, obviously we don't know, but like, do we have like sort of filters? Like I brought this up last time where it's like, it would seem like that kind of remove certain filters from your visual field in your brain when you uh, take part in a macro dose of something. Like we walk around in a normal life with like all these sort of filters in our brain and maybe something like this kind of can reduce or take away some of those. So you're able to see these different changes in your everyday life. I mean, I don't know if that made sense at all, but I don't really know how to describe it better than that. No, 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 absolutely. Um, I have a question. Is that something that you thought of or have you like read about filters somewhere? That's something I just, that I thought of. Um, I haven't really looked into that at all because I wouldn't really know how to go about doing it. And I don't know if that's really like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, that your brain has filters, but I don't know. 
I, no. I just just was a thought. That's a that's very interesting. There was a paper that came out, I think, last year, and I read it, but I fuzzy on the details. They um, so your brain definitely does have filters for sure, and the easiest way to think about that is think about all the noise that goes on around you in your daily life, whether it be just traffic or people talking in the background, but yet you're still able to focus on one thing and just have a conversation with one person despite all the noise. Hmm. So your brain, because you're so used to the noise, is able to filter all that out. And same thing with visuals. Like if you're watching TV, you kind of filter out all the background and you focus on TV and you don't even think about it. So one theory that was put forth, um, I think this was the same paper that showed LSD actually binding to the serotonin receptor, like they were able to crystallize it out and get a picture of it, which was really cool. They proposed that LSD is shutting down some of the filters in your brain, which is pushing all of the information that you can normally filter out to your cortex for processing and your brain doesn't really know how to process all that information because it's normally not there Mm. and that's what causes the visual distortions and the visual field effects that you actually see it's just an access of information that's being pushed forward for processing uh once again i wish i could go more into the molecular level on that and i might revisit that paper because it was interesting yeah, I'd I'd be interested to 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 look at that as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's, like you said, still a ton of things going on um, on a neurological level that you know people just don't quite understand yet. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, it just honestly, neuroscience in general, we know so little about. Yeah. You know, we know a lot of the details, a lot of the, at the synaptic level, what's happening between these two neurons and things like that. But to expand it into something that we can make sense out of, like how do these, you know, synapse, what's happening at the synaptic level, how does that translate to what we're seeing? I think a lot of that's still just fuzzy to us because Mm -hmm. we don't understand the brain and how it actually works. Yeah, I mean, are we are we continuing? Like, are you seeing advances maybe annually on certain parts of the brain that we're able to kind of unlock little pieces here and there, or is it something that, in your opinion, it's just like it's so vast, unknown, and complex that we may never fully understand? Um. I would say we are definitely piecing it together piece by piece. And mm-hmm. there does seem to be different errors are going to have different emphases on different parts of the brain. Um, for example, in neurodevelopment now, there's a big push on the ganglionic eminence, which is this organoid-like structure that only exists in development. What's an organoid? <laughs> just, uh, I, mean, I just have to make sure that everybody understands what you're talking yeah. about. 
Because I know, but yeah, yeah, right. Again, just to make it clear, Kyle understands. (laughs) (laughs) We need to make sure everybody knows Kyle understands. I get these terms that I've never heard before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you actually, because I don't know you other than Mm -hmm. just what Nick's told me. What's your background? Just real quick. Um, Well, I'm. I went to school for international studies and French minor. Um, so I have no background scientifically at all, although I'm endlessly fascinated by the brain and um, certain processes in the human body. But um, I currently work for a wine distributor. So I, I have no, you know, basis in that i'm not an authority at all but like 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 i said i I love listening to scientists and you know intellectuals philosophers and reading things like that um and i've just got an ongoing interest in in those types of things so okay no no real authority there okay that's fair um so organoid let's just call it an organ for simplicity sake, right? <laughs> it's just good thinking yeah it's it's a structure that just kind of exists it, it's just a structure in your body it's from a different planet <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually is that right uh-huh. <laughs> see the real life on mars that we see are just <laughs> organoids floating around <laughs> but um yeah each there are emphases on different parts of the brain for every person. And for a while there was just, we were only for focusing on like the hypothalamus, which deals with memory. And then we're focusing on the cortex, which deals with processing and cognition. You know, there's, there are niches that focus on each part of the brain, but there are definitely pushes when an exciting paper comes out that's on the hypothalamus, for example, it's going to push people to study it more because that's just the way science works. Right. And I do think that we are putting the puzzle together piece by piece eventually. Well, actually, I don't know if we will ever fully understand it all because I don't know if we can, but that goes with literally anything else in the body. Like, I don't know if we'll fully ever understand the heart or the liver. Right. But um, I do think that we are putting it together piece by piece it's just it's harder to study than some other tissues you know oh sure yeah you typically have to look for i mean if you take the brain for example it's not it's not like there's specific lines in the brain that are just like okay this is the hippocampus this is the hypothalamus yeah. i mean we you look at a diagram and that's how what it looks like but you actually open a brain up you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> this is all mush and it all looks the same you know and like you have a few markers here and there that you can kind of figure out um but there's 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 definitely all it's it's difficult to to be able to tease out a lot of those differences and there's of course, different bundles of neurons and how they're interacting and whatnot. So you have, you know, you might have neurons that are thicker and you have, might have other ones that are longer. Like uh, we were uh, actually, uh, Bobby was in, in this guy's lab, but 
he does uh, research with neurons that kind of move across from one hemisphere, meaning one half of the brain to the other half of the brain. And he actually has images of, I guess, what is it? The, was that the, uh, the actual, that was the actual growth, right? Yeah. That yeah. was the actual growth. Like from, neuronal projections. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just there, there's a lot of cross talk and, and that's why it's so difficult to study as opposed to like the liver. I mean, they're all made up of hepatocytes, liver cells, It's which is an incredibly fascinating tissue. And there's so much, I mean, I think the liver is one of the coolest organs you can study because it does so much for us. I mean, talking about molecules or psychedelics and stuff like that, the liver has a massive role in that as well, just mm. like it does with caffeine, just like it does with it, literally any pharmaceutical drug that you were to consume as well. Uh, the, the liver has to process all that stuff. So each one of those cells is going through all these different metabolic processes to be able to convert it uh, from one form of the molecule to another form of the molecule that may either be active or inactive. Uh, so there's just a lot yeah, going that's, on. That's, that's true. I mean, talking about the liver, you, you may know way more about this than me, but I was just curious, like, you know, certain people smoke marijuana and then you can also eat it when you smoke really? it versus when you eat it. <laughs> it's uh it's apparently it's a, it's a different, uh, a different effect. And I, oh, I yeah. don't know where I heard this, but because when you eat it, it's processed through your liver. And when it goes through your liver, there are certain enzymes, molecules yeah, yeah, right. created that, inspire an alternative sort of feeling than if you were to just smoke it. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense to you at all. Uh, the, the question makes absolute sense. It's okay. just my brain's trying to, <laughs> trying to think of some sort of explanation. Cause typically do you have any, any, anything in mind, Bobby? Cause um, or why it would be different. Yeah. Why it would be different. Exactly. The why you kind of already answered the why um, okay. with the, you know, you do have different enzymes in your liver that break down molecules differently. So when you do eat it, the compound like THC, CBD, THCV, all these cannabinoids are getting processed in a different way. And therefore it's going to affect you in a different way. Well, processed in, in what do you mean by processed? Uh, processed just as in like um, broken down. Um, okay. So, you know, when, you eat anything, let's say, like you eat a cupcake. Um, it's going to go through the digestive tract, and in there it's going to be, the, all the molecules are going to be broken down in a certain way. But then they're going to enter the bloodstream and do whatever they need to do. And when you eat marijuana, it's no different. The molecules in there are going to be broken down and then transported elsewhere in your body specifically with marijuana i've actually haven't looked into this which is surprising <laughs> but, but um i might i might make a note yeah. and do that later but yeah um, i guess what what trips me up is like you the way kyle's asking it, which makes complete sense is if you if you were to consume let's say thc is a molecule right mm -hmm. i don't know that much about it but let, let's just assume it's the same molecule all the time it's thc like that's what it is just like 
a lipid or a fat that we consume is always a fat. Like that's just the way it is, the molecular structure of that molecule. So if you were to inhale it and it goes into your bloodstream, it's still that molecule as opposed to if you were to eat it and it enters that bloodstream, the, the bloodstream, and then it ends up in the same location. And then presumably because the molecular structure is the same in both conditions, why would we see a different effect from one versus the other? And the first thing that I can think of is maybe the, the consumption process. There's certain uh, enzymes in our saliva as well that maybe those have an impact, like maybe they pre-process it or, uh, you know, or the, the heating, you know, if you add it to brownies. I have I, heard that is a, a, a fun way of going about the edibles, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so assuming yes. that you, 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 you bake it, uh, maybe the heating process goes through like proteins, they denature, so they kind of open up. Uh, so maybe something like that changes. I, I don't know. I'm just completely speculating, but I imagine that some of those may have a, may have factors. Or do you know, Bobby, with like edibles, would you have higher levels of like THC or would you have higher levels of some of these other cannabinoids? Yeah. In edibles, you typically, the standard rule of thumb to measure the amount of THC in, in an edible uh-huh. is the amount of THC that you would get in like one gram of marijuana, you and we can look these things up because there's plenty of resources now, but let's say you have a specific strain and it has 20% THC. Mm-hmm. The rule of thumb is if you add one gram of that to your butter or whatever you're doing to make your edible, you add a zero at the end, and that gives you the THC content in your edible. Jeez. So it's uh it definitely gets amplified, and there is a process called decarbing okay. of marijuana, which is when you bake it at like a lower temperature. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's around two hundred. I don't know. I would have to look into it more, but I know that to prep marijuana for um, making edibles, it's recommended that you do bake it at two hundred or whatever that is. Right. I don't know what that does. Or why you do it mm-hmm. but i think that heating definitely there's something going on with heating it and the way your body breaks it down when you eat it that's going to produce a different effect i just don't know why yeah right mm-hmm. yeah i mean clearly i don't either it's just all speculation but if you if if a person were to first start smoking the weed the herb, the marijuana, <laughs> the Mary Jane, grass, uh, the grass. <laughs> uh, what, what would be a typically a good starter concentration of THC? Um, uh, I don't know. It depends on what you want. Uh, you know, because well, what have, do you mean by that? Well, you have two main branches, right? You have sativas and indicas. Right. Um, God, I always mix these up. I think it's. Indica is more like it's heavy, relaxed. It? Yeah, it's more like you're kind of trying to chill, relax. More right. sort of a people call it Inda couch because you just uh, that's, that's, that's the only way I remember it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like sativa is sun or something. Like you want to be out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More so, energetic feeling. Right. So sativas normally have higher THC concentrations, which are going to make you just happier, more social, mm-hmm. um, 
the giggles, something like that. Yeah. Where indicas have a higher concentration of like CBD or linalool that's going to give you that couch lock feeling, that okay. stoned, that I'm hungry and want to eat. Type yeah, of yeah, yeah. Um, so if you are looking for like in a party environment or something, go with the sativa, higher THC concentration, like a 20, 25% is pretty high. I mean, we have some strains now that are in like the 30, 35% range, yeah. which is crazy. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hey Kyle, did you did you listen to that one podcast uh Joe Rogan podcast with that one dude? I've, the guy from Oh, Kevin the, Smith. Yes, Kevin Smith. He came <laughs> up with he came up with like he has his own uh marijuana, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. like some insane amount of THC. Do you remember how much that is, roughly? Uh God, I think it was like um I can't, I can't remember, but it was, it was upwards of 40%. Yeah. That's insane. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it's called like schnoogans. <laughs> 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 if every, if anybody's seen Jay and silent Bob, they'll, they'll get that or clerks. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. And he's just like a daily, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what daily smoker. So I yeah. guess, you know, I'll, over time someone can build up a tolerance, but if you were to smoke a joint with, Kevin Smith and you were not a smoker at all. Um, you would have to <laughs> probably lock yourself in a room and just, just ride it out. But, um, you wouldn't be able to function in, in society like he could. Right. But right. it's interesting, like how quickly and how dramatically marijuana has evolved over the course of I don't know, 30 years, you know, what do you mean? Well, just the strength of it. And it just, it doesn't even resemble what it looked like in the seventies or the sixties. I mean, if you look at what, a you know, the flower of a, of a marijuana plant looked like then to what they look like now, I mean, it's just unreal. It's night and day. Really? I mean, I people have worked that. on this, like, <laughs> you know, it's a cure for cancer. Right. Um, because you, because you just take certain strains that, you know, exhibit certain qualities that you like and you just continue to breed them in a way that you then create your own strain. And, um, like if you look at a picture back then, I mean, it just looks like a small little, I don't know, a little flowering bud, um, right. where it was maybe like seven to 10%. THC, um, back then. And then you just, people continue to work on it to where now you look at it, these massive buds that are like f just packed with these crystals and the, it's incredibly pungent. Um, I mean, it's just, just look when you have a chance at like comparisons of how it's changed over, you know, just the course of a few decades. Um, and because people are breeding these things to have certain qualities like, you know, way more THC or wanted to smell a certain way and have certain effects. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's huh. just, it's pretty crazy. It's just become part like a, like a culture of its own. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Stop breeding dogs, start breeding marijuana. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different strains out there. Oh, hundreds. 
maybe yeah. even thousands at this point, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was dating a girl once that had this app on her phone where it would like, put your phone away, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would like sh- tell you about all the different strains. And they were like, I mean, just an insane amount. I'm sure even since then there's, there's been a lot. It was, a, it was probably Leafly. Leafly? Yeah. yeah. For a matter of fact, that's what I was just trying to pull up. <laughs> to look at like um just the popular strains and see their thc concentrations yeah um because i know some of the popular strains by the names of um like og kush or blue dream some things like that but i don't know their pineapple specific. express pineapple express yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for some reason the app is failing me right now and not displaying the strains like they're wow, supposed to. that's that's incredible you just lost an opportunity you you would have been flooded <laughs> oh, flooded with people going to your app <laughs> unreal no i've got it pulled up it's fine yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so far. so it's so you can type in a strain like let's see what strain should i type in I've been blue dream. I think that's um that's a strong indica. Okay. And sour diesel is a strong Steve, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. Blue. I don't think you're mistaken from the, the vast knowledge that I have. <laughs> uh let's see. Yeah, so blue dream when you type it in, it's it's a hybrid, nineteen percent THC. Okay. It's like okay. in the middle between calming and energizing. Because I guess that's the hybrid part of it. Yeah. Uh, sort of has an herbal, piney, peppery notes. Ah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> of course. A bit like paprika. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, effects, common effects are giggly, happy, euphoric, uplifted, aroused. Ooh. Um, wow. <laughs> for medical uses, people have reported... It helps with inflammation, spasticity, eye pressure, depression, and insomnia. No, and the negative impacts are anxiousness, dry mouth, dry eyes, paranoia, and headaches. The the insomnia part is kind of interesting <clears throat> to me because that that's got kind of a double edged sword. Because I I know that weed certainly has an impact on the quality of sleep as well it certainly decreases mm-hmm. the quality of sleep so you might be able to get to sleep but overall your quality of sleep decreases right it's kind of cool how this i mean it just goes into so many different things i mean you have photos of it you have articles on it you have <laughs> wow. um growing information on it you have its lineage <laughs> Yeah. So haze and blueberry formed Blue Dream, and then Blue Dream spawned uh, a strain called Buddha's Tooth and Robert Plant. <laughs> 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 and tells you similar strains, like if this one works for you, you should try Alaskan Thunderfuck or <laughs> White Widow. Or strawberry cough, or Maui Wowie. You know, I was just about to mention strawberry cough. Oh, uh, that's okay. the one I have pulled up now. Seventeen percent THC. You know, herbal, pine, peppery notes. There you go. Um, and it's reported that it tastes like strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you can imagine that. Shock. 
<laughs> in a shocking turn of events. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just funny to, to look at all this and how and just intricate and how much information it provides because so many people can write a review or contribute to like the information uh, on this. So it's a, it's cool. It's a cool little app to just look through anyway. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially just for more information, you know, see what it's obviously constantly expanding to see what people are up to, what, how many people are getting on board with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great idea. I mean, creating an app around a culture that's getting bigger and bigger and more vocal and just becoming more accepted in general. Um, would you, Bobby, didn't you say that in, I don't know if it's in Baltimore and Maryland in general, that if you, I mean, people are smoking weed all the time here, yeah. but, um, if if you get caught it's like a fine and that's it you know something really right so um it is decriminalized in the state and there's something specific about baltimore i think that you are legally allowed to smoke it in your home in baltimore just not outside or something something like that right um, yeah the specifics i would have to look into it and i know no, what I think it is that you can't be prosecuted for it. So they can still arrest you, but you can't be prosecuted. <laughs> okay. And that's why there were like, not a lot of people were happy about that because they were like, what's the point? Like, yeah. then we're just wasting police time because yeah. they can arrest us and then nothing is going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, so I haven't actually heard any updated legislation on that. And it would be interesting to look into. But Baltimore did try to make a step forward to recreational legalization, which huh. I think is going to be on the ballot in 2020. Because so, in D.C. it's legal, correct? Correct. Well, it's <laughs> legal to smoke, but not to buy in D.C. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, accidentally. Like, so you never actually hand it off as a drug deal. You just drop it in front of the person. You're like, whoops, I dropped this. Oh, whoops, you dropped the money. Oh, Smoke whoops. it now. <laughs> the, uh, the way they circumvent that is they present it as a gift. So you can buy oh this $80 t shirt from a street vendor and it wow. comes with a gift. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow, what's I, the gift? Oh, wow, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, some t-shirts are $80, some are $100, some are only like uh, $40 or $50. It huh. just they all look the same to me. I don't know why the price is different, wow. you know. Must be good quality. <laughs> yeah. High quality materials. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting. I don't know the numbers, but there's got to be a crazy amount of people who are in jail currently for, you know, marijuana possession or distribution or things like that. And certain states have legalized it completely. So there's just a big disparity even within the United States still. I don't even know on how people feel, but maybe just between the federal government and the states, because I think if you look at the numbers, overwhelmingly people are now maybe not in favor, but just they look at marijuana as like something that's 
maybe shouldn't be illegal or shouldn't be, you know, criminalized anyway. Yeah, the um, the tides are definitely turning. Um, it's a slow process as expected, but in general, the trend is towards legalization, towards just not caring about what other people do in their spare time, which I yeah, which yeah. I'd argue is pretty important. Yeah. Unfortunately, and not to get too too political with this, but I saw a post on Reddit just yesterday. We never get political here. Oh, good. No. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. But um it was a picture of the General Assembly in Chicago where you were going to I think it was like apply or see who got um licenses to sell medical marijuana because it's not a new thing in Chicago. And this person just pointed out that in the picture, there was not a single African-American person in the entire Mm. assembly to get a license for medical marijuana. Yeah. And looking at the numbers of the amount of people that are incarcerated for it in Chicago is just mind boggling for no reason. And the majority are African-American. So I think that it does come back to at least some sort of deep-rooted racism or segregation in that fact, you know? And I think that's... Yeah, oh, oh, for sure, especially in Chicago. And then it's all motivated financially as well to to keep marijuana illegal in certain places. Yeah. Because certain areas have private prisons, which you make profit from, and you want to keep those prisons full, so... We're going to charge you with just any old thing we can to justify throwing you in jail just so that we continue to make money off of you. And then, you know, big business has interest as well, like paper companies. And um, because if, you know, marijuana becomes legal and hemp starts to take off as well, I mean, you've got a much more durable, pliable substance to use for you know, paper, fibers, things like that, that a lot of people have interest in as well um, in keeping it illegal. So there's just a lot of factors still that despite people maybe being more open-minded about, there's people with deeper pockets that are connected to the government who will prolong this a little bit more than maybe some would like. Yeah, that's... (laughs) That's a sad reality, but you're completely right. Yeah, it's crazy how the population might believe something. Like if you just poll the population in general, they all swing towards one particular idea. I mean, not everyone, but a majority. And yet the representation for the population ends up going, is fighting hard to to stay staunch on a particular topic. And I mean, lobbying is just, that's something I just do not understand in any way how that is legal. And I mean, same, same thing with like the, the Epstein situation, right? It's just (laughs) like every, I mean, it seems like everybody, conspiracy theorists and non-conspiracy theorists are all coming together and are just like, this is so effed up and nobody is saying like, and aside from the the population nobody in government is actually saying or doing anything and i can guarantee you 
we're just going to keep saying, oh, this is effed up. Like when you look into this more, blah, 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 blah. And there, it's just going to be a stone wall of silence until the, we start to get captured by some other topic that needs our attention. And it's just never going to get covered. He didn't kill himself, by the way. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> well, Nick, that's why, like I said before, you got to just call your congressman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll have him on the next podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I was having a discussion with Diane in a program. Mm-hmm. Um, who is avid anti-Trump. Mm-hmm. And when was it? It was when the... So her and Nick would not get along. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. But it was during the whistleblower Choose situation. your words wisely. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Nick. <laughs> no, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it was good. But no, it was during the whistleblower situation when that was mm-hmm. unfolding like in real time. She was she mentioned that there is no way in hell that he should be able to get out of this situation. <sighs> and then she mentioned that he will. Oh, okay. Because no matter what happens, no matter what scandal, what new information comes out on him, there's always something bigger that he does. So like he keeps digging the hole, but by digging the hole, he's distracting from all the steps that got him down that low. Mm -hmm. So it always gives somebody the next issue to focus on, which seems big, seems huge, monumental. Yeah. And then because they're focused on getting more information about the latest situation, they forget about the last one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you just keep, digging digging down this rabbit hole and three years later here he is with yeah. you know crimes that should have gotten him impeached probably a month in yeah. and mm-hmm. here we are it's just I don't know, the politics are i disagree with a lot of them Nick, you want to counter that or? <laughs> Look, I think he's a very, very nice man. <laughs> very nice. He and I There's have a lot of deals. Okay, a lot of really good deals. <laughs> a lot of really good deals. Uh, you know, we're we're working on stuff, and uh, you know, just going forward, I think that uh, things will things will be perfectly fine. You just. Uh, yeah, look over there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty nuts. I mean, I, I don't even know what's going on really with this whole impeachment thing. Um, we kind of broke the story on impeachment a few weeks back. Yeah, <laughs> broke the story, huh? <laughs> well, Kyle, Kyle did predict one thing, though. He did say that everybody was going to just go along party lines, which is exactly what's going on. Yeah. The Republicans are staying staunch and the Democrats are staying yeah, staunch. Yeah, both, both sides are saying this is an outrage. Exactly. <laughs> For two completely different reasons. Uh, yeah, it's just... Everything's based on emotion now, not fact, which is just a shame. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's true. But uh, but I don't know. I mean, do do you know where we are currently as far as where we're standing with impeachment? Is that is that moving forward? Is it realistic that he could get impeached um, within the year, or is it just going to get drawn out until it's just election time again? I, I coming from a point of not staying too updated with it i think it's going to be drawn out until election time because that's just the way these things tend to go and they seem to be going Mm -hmm. you know we've been hearing about impeachment for years and the process is finally getting going but because the republicans and the democrats are so staunch to stick with their party lines well i should i say the republicans that i don't know how far it's going to get and how quickly. Um, yeah. The last I heard is that the process went through whatever it had to go through in the house. And mm-hmm. aside from that, I'm not sure where it stands now. I'm honestly not. Yeah. As yeah. They had the, they had the private meetings, right. Or the private interviews. And then now it's a public setting. So they're, I guess, re-interviewing some of the people that they privately interviewed. But in this situation, obviously, they can get rebuttal from from the Republican uh, side. I think each side gets, I believe, like forty five minutes with with each uh, interviewee, and then uh, it's you know it's just going to be back and forth between like trying to the Democrats are trying to add credibility to these individuals, the Republicans are trying to break down credibility for these individuals and. It's just yeah. going to be a tug of war back and forth. And yeah, I agree. Ultimately, uh, it's it's probably going to get drawn out for a really long time. And uh, but who knows? I mean, maybe maybe we'll be surprised. Yeah, maybe. Just don't know who's in charge. No, no, definitely not. I'm still blown away by the the difference in character that dramatic difference in character between our presidents literally pick any republican or democratic president before donald trump and they're just extremely different compared to compared to him so it's a it's a weird world it's a weird world although i mean going back to epstein for a second like if if he if he if everything that happened is true like some of the rumors about you know like bill clinton uh riding the the plane with with epstein some 20 plus times and all that stuff and just the business that epstein was in like i mean maybe those individuals were uh just more subtle about the things the the atrocious things that they said and did than um than donald trump is and donald trump just happens to be more of a cowboy about it yeah yeah he basically wants to be his own defense no matter what it is so yeah somehow that i don't know i feel like obviously that's i mean we can see how that's damaging and like completely idiotic most of the time but to his supporters i mean that's there's nothing better he could be doing it seems like he um he just uses short words and says <laughs> them a lot. And- I just don't even know if he can read. I mean, I- <laughs> he just says the same thing over and over. It's wild. Yeah, I don't know. 
he knows how to get the people going, I guess. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. I yeah. think, uh, I think we should, or the democratic party should stop trying to sabotage themselves so much. Like I understand, you know, you want it, you want to present the best primary ca- candidate that you can to take on Trump in the next election, but they're just shooting themselves in the foot so much. And every time they bring up something like Joe Biden's son, for example, yeah, like mm-hmm. that's just more ammo for Trump to use to push down whatever candidate comes up. So I don't, I think it's going to be an interesting election. Um, I don't know. I think obviously I'm about unity. Just like, what are we doing here? Let's just stop, think for a second and realize these are the changes we need to make. This is how we're going to get there and put selfish you know, feelings aside. But that just won't happen. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. There's a lot of strings of sentences of like politics <laughs> where like, nah, I don't think so. Being unselfish, working together, <laughs> trying to, trying to yeah. just get something. Well, that, that maybe goes full circle back to what we were initially talking about with psychedelics. I think that kind of breaks down those tribal yeah. barriers. Um that people want to identify with so, so staunchly and it enables people to, um, be more unified with just their fellow human beings and a little bit more open to just seeing other people's perspectives and, um, just realizing that we're all on the same team at the end of the day. And we just want to do what's right, um, for everybody. And I think, you know, that could be a way to ultimately show people we can do it. So, um, I don't know. No, I mean, I think you're right. Like you said on the podcast, you know, just if everybody just did shrooms, we'd all be nicer to each other. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be it. (laughs) Like we could actually focus on moving forward and not fighting each other, you know? Yep. I did. Um, no, there were several moments in that podcast that were, very interesting, very intriguing to me, especially when he brought up the point of working yourself basically to death, where his father wanted to do shrooms. Joe Rogan's father wanted to do shrooms with him before he passed away. Yeah. And he couldn't justify doing that because he was so afraid that if his father did shrooms, he would see that his whole life was just led by the machine as he wow. it, you know, and just what did he miss by working for a company in this finite life that we have? Why yeah. did you give so much to this company just to not get what you wanted to out of yourself? You know? Yeah. Just kind of going through the motions just because that's what you learned and that's what people did before you. You don't question it. You just go along with it and then you die. And that kind of opens up, like you said, the more questions about what am I actually doing? What's my potential? What could I be doing with my time here on earth while I have it? You know, could it be used differently? And I think that those types of things can open the door to those questions and Obviously, that could be very intimidating and very, very scary. Um, but 
you know, you got to embrace that at a, at a certain point if you want to uh, unlock your full potential. For sure. I mean, you have to be uncomfortable to change, right? Like yeah. if you are complacent with yourself, and I see this in too many people, in my opinion, where they're just complacent with their lives so they don't see a need to make a change to better themselves and psychedelics is going to make you uncomfortable no matter what in what environment no matter how safe you feel it's going to put your mind in a state where you are not comfortable because you've never been there before Mm -hmm. and then that allows personal growth whether it be spiritual emotional mental it just allows you to grow beyond that place of I'm too scared. Let me just not do this and be fine. Yeah. And I think that that's important for one productivity and just emotional happiness. I I think, I think we should all try to be uncomfortable at most moments in our lives because I don't see how we are going to advance if we're not uncomfortable. Yeah, that's true. I mean, nothing worth having ever came easy. So, um, yeah, but back to that interview, the Paul Stamets, um, yeah, really fascinating guy. And he actually came on the podcast one time before that, um, which if you haven't listened to that one either, I highly recommend it too, because he talks more about his life growing up and, what made him get into his particular field. Mm -hmm. And when he was a kid, um, he had a really bad stutter and he couldn't do any public speaking. And he was afraid to, you know, ask questions to the teacher in class and just really, uh, and it just kind of put a damper on his growth, his mental growth and personal growth and social growth And I think when he was like a teenager or a young adult, he first um, did shrooms and he ate 20 grams. (laughs) (laughs) I think you said before, like one gram is like maybe the threshold of where it's like maybe a macro at that point or where you actually start to feel the visual and physical effects. But 20 is just like what he, <laughs> what I guess Terrence McKenna calls a heroic dose yeah. or even more than that. And he said that he climbed a tree <laughs> and it felt like that he was in the middle of an ocean during a hurricane, like just incredible winds, like, and he was holding on to the tree for dear life and he might've been up there for hours, <laughs> but, <laughs> but But he came down and, you know, when he finally like sort of came down from the trip and then came down from the tree, um, he was going about his normal life again and noticed that his stutter was completely gone and it had never come back since then. So I don't know if it, obviously it's correlated, but, you know, it's something that, um, since that moment, he was like, wow, I'm going to dedicate my life, you know, not just to the psychedelic properties of certain mushrooms, but just mushrooms as a whole in general. I mean, he, he's done so much to, to look into their properties and how they can help 
like this recent podcast, he mentioned how he's saving the honeybees of the world by introducing this fungus into this water. Um, so it's just, it's, it inspired him to, to be more and do more. But I just thought that was a little interesting thing. And you should definitely listen to that first um, interview he does because he goes into much more detail. Yeah, no, I um, I will for sure. I will for sure. Um, I would like to point out <laughs> that uh, there's normally, it can be described as five levels. Well, maybe six now. I don't know. But um, zero to like 0.5 grams is considered like microdose level. Probably like 0.5 to 1, 1.5 is considered a starter dose. Just like start to get perceptual um, effects, visuals. Mm-hmm. Normally, like 1.5 to 3 is considered like a normal dose, a normal trip. 3 to 4 is considered like an upper dose. And then like maybe like 4 to 6 or around like the 5 to 6, 7 range is considered like a heroic dose. To do ah. 20 <laughs> <laughs> is just absurd. <laughs> yeah. That just seems mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, but... It's not surprising that he did have some that it did have a dramatic and lasting effect on him. Yeah. At a dose like that. You know. Mm-hmm. It's a it is I do think it is important. And I do think I mean Albert Hoffman said this himself when talking about LSD, that he thinks LSD is what we need to unlock the potential of human beings, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that shrooms go right along that same line where if he didn't have that experience, he wouldn't have dedicated himself to mushrooms. And like he said, he has a nature publication now that's top right. of the top line. So he is contributing to society because of this experience that he had. And I think, a lot of people probably fall in that same boat where they have a significant experience with psychedelics and they decide to devote their lives to something because of it. You know, not necessarily Mm -hmm. psychedelics and mushrooms, but it interests them enough that they pursue avenues, you know? Yeah. Just, just causes you to sort of take the lid off of certain things and explore a little bit deeper in ways you never would have considered before. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <clears throat> have any, uh, have anything? Have you heard anything, Nick, related to psychedelics or unlocking human potential? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's, too busy, he's too busy following Trump on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Uh... <laughs> I did find it a, a slightly comical though, and you said you you want you want to experience a little bit of discomfort, you know, with psychedelics and whatnot. And then Kyle's describing this guy that feels like he went through a hurricane <laughs> while he's on top of a tree, and it's just like normal outside. <laughs> just you've got a guy in a tree just like screaming. <laughs> Ah <laughs> oh, shit! I don't know if I'm gonna make it. 
god. <laughs> that might be taking a little bit further than I think a little comfortable. Yeah, yeah. He described himself as a psychonaut. Yeah. Which is <laughs> which is basically like someone who just goes boldly into the unknown of psychedelics. Yeah. By either trying new things or trying, <laughs> you know, large well, doses. Yeah, I remember him mentioning that that kid that ended up dying from a particular mushroom, which was apparently a really rare mushroom or whatnot, and it was probably some sort of extremely rare side effect. But he decided because he couldn't find any research on it, he decided to take it himself. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, well. I mean, I guess that's dedication. That's exactly yeah. the whole psychonaut ideal. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about this. He obviously has openly admitted to doing mushrooms and the impact that it's had on his life. Yeah. Do you think that he has to bring in a conflict of interest when he publishes and does his research on it now? Uh, I imagine no just like with a lot of other research like if you're if you're a researcher right and um, let's say you do aging research which Kyle knows uh, he's he's listened to this podcast to David St. Clair uh, yeah. talking about aging and whatnot so if they do research on something like uh, NMD what was it uh, I forgot I forgot what the well we'll go with uh, resveratrol which is yeah. a lot of people have talked about. So if he does research on that and then he finds a positive result, like it seems kind of idiotic to be like, yeah, I'm just not going to take it because I don't want to put, have that be a conflict of interest. Like if you're learning things and you understand that it's beneficial for you, like otherwise, I mean, if that were the case on my next publication, I'm going to have to put a conflict of interest <laughs> of like a thousand different things, you know, like I make sure that I hit my protein on this amount and I make sure <laughs> I take creatine and like all these different, you know, factors. So I, yeah. I can't imagine that. That's fair. That's they, fair. They probably go into that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, the intricacies of how that works on the publication side or whatever, but to just your average person, like myself, I think that makes him more credible because he's actually practicing what he's preaching there. Yeah, right. And doing yeah. like a firsthand account. Um, but I get how that might, you know, when you're approaching certain scientific journals or universities, it might be a conflict there because it is an illegal substance. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I read the book by uh, Michael Pollan, um, How to Change Your Mind. And uh, basically, he talks about the history and culture behind, you know, psychedelic drugs um, that we currently know about. And he he's probably like, I think he's he might be in his 60s, but up until he wrote the book or was writing the book, he had never, you know, gone through a, a, an experience. Um, he had only maybe smoked weed a few times and just drank alcohol his whole life. Mm. But in writing the book, he wanted to not only explain what these substances are and their cultural impact um, throughout the history of the world, um, he wanted to 
be able to write a firsthand account on these things. So there's a chapter devoted in the book to like LSD, psilocybin, DMT, and like he's like, yeah, I had to go to this place. And actually he talks about with psilocybin, he actually went out and met with Paul Stamets at, um, in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, he took him to a little area where certain mushrooms grow and they harvested those and like did them by a fire or something like that. And he just recounts his experience with it. And uh, I like that a lot because, you know, it's just adds another element of like a firsthand account, you know, by the author as well. It's not just like, this is what you might expect. It's like, this is what happened to me. Yeah, might right. not happen to you, but it's like pretty fascinating too. No, yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. It's just in that weird ground, like we were talking about, where yeah. people recognize the benefits. We are every single day we're getting more and more information and data to outline the benefits. Yet, it's still illegal. So, how much can we really disclose about our own personal experiences, knowing that at the moment it is illegal to do right yeah that's why all three of us have never done anything yeah yeah no is, yeah yeah it's too bad yeah, it's all yeah. hearsay it's just tales stories we hear a lot you know <laughs> yeah we do research but you know only reading yeah yeah um yeah because it's illegal and We'd never do. We'd never break the law. No. Anyway, not in Trump's country. No, <laughs> not in Trump's no, country. No, most, most, <laughs> most certainly not. Yeah. Anytime they describe like different effects, like I don't know, like itchiness or something like that, I always like rub sandpaper on my on my skin just to get that same experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you really, yeah. you really like to get into it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, just trying to get some sort takes of me to another place. <laughs> it takes me to another place. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Heard about you know feeling like a hurricane up in a tree. You just put on a fan. Just, <laughs> oh! Yeah. Yeah. oh shit! I experience it too. Yeah. Just get an industrial fan in my shower. <laughs> turn on, <laughs> turn the water on. <laughs> Blowing straight in your face. Put on sunglasses. <laughs> oh, man. That is good. Crank up Beethoven and then, yeah. It's just, I feel like I'm tripping. <laughs> oh, sober minds. Yeah, we would just wouldn't know the difference, you know? Yeah. No, not at all. Well... <laughs> I think uh, I think we're good. I think we're. Uh, I I have I still have to go to the lab. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, fair. And I know Bobby still wants to watch the the Ravens play. Ravens are coming on nice. at once. It's going to be a good game, big game. Who are, who are they who playing, are playing today? Yeah. We got the Texans. Oh, Deshaun Watson. Oh, yeah, Deshaun is, Watson. It's important for the playoffs, man. Yeah, this is uh, probably going to at least be one of the games that decide home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So. For sure. Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson. Ooh, yeah. It's going to yeah. be exciting. They asked Lamar, you know, do you see um, any of Deshaun Watson's game in your game? He said, I play Lamar ball. 
I say, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, spin, that spin move he did against oh the Bengals. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, this guy's the real deal. Like, he is just – and obviously I knew he was the real deal um, before that, but it just kind of like, man, that guy just is another level. And I think they interviewed the Bengals players. Like, that guy just – yeah. juked out um and like the whole game they were like man this guy like we've never played against a guy like this before <laughs> like they they just straight out said like the coach was like you know yelling at him like you gotta go here and you gotta do this they're like we there's nothing we can do <laughs> yeah, right. like just to get this guy and i thought that was pretty pretty telling like you have other professional athletes are just not afraid to just come out and say like this guy is really unique yeah and just on another level i remember seeing him up uh at a game um louisville versus nc state um, oh, yeah. his senior year i went to to that it was like a night game it was a really good game but i just remember watching him play like in person it was just like it just didn't look real, like just the moves he was doing and like how easy it looked for him to just, you know, if he wanted to keep the ball, he was going to get a first down at least or just mm-hmm. make some crazy move to get into open space. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's like, you know, similar to like Mike Vick in that sort of like, I don't know, just unbelievably – special talent that you don't see that often yeah it's a it's exciting it's an exciting time to be a ravens fan here in baltimore i completely agree it's uh it feels feels fantastic (laughs) but i mean i don't know i mean looking at how they're just dominating people i mean they beat the patriots away like yeah not that it didn't look that hard for them too like no it wasn't i just i feel like they're like I don't. I wouldn't say a lock to win at all, but like they're definitely one of the favorites at this point. Yeah, I mean we are currently on pace to have, I think, the second lowest amount of punts in league history in a season. Wow. Um, I know that this is the least that Sam Cook has ever punted in his career, like throughout a season. Um, God, the easiest job on earth, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he just kind of stands on He says he still gets ready every third down, but he oh, keeps yeah. on to more nets than he does on the field at this wow. point. So it's a once not complaining. He is not complaining at all. But no, no yeah. it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how, it, how it all plays out in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think Deshaun Watson, like no other quarterback can mimic Lamar Jackson, so it's hard for defenses to even prepare for him, right? Right. But right. I think if anybody could, it would probably be Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Yeah. yeah that's, that's true. So I yeah. think that if there was a defense that was going to stiffen up and stop him a bit, it might be the Texans just because they can, in quote-unquote, practice against him. But I just don't think it'll be that tough for you guys today, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like JJ Watts not there. I mean, that's a big deal too. That's true. That's true. And it's just like you said, I this you can't plan for that sort of offense. Like I think next year you're gonna see 
a lot of schemes designed specifically for him that might work a little bit better. But like this year, it just seems like we don't know. How, we just can't plan for that, you know? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious if if they go to the Super Bowl, I'm curious how Baltimore is going to be. If, uh, if they oh, it's win be or nuts. even if they go. It'll be fun. Yeah. Were you there? Were have you always been a Ravens fan? Yeah, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and yes. Have you? Are you from Baltimore or like? Yeah, I am from Maryland? Baltimore. Okay. Yep. So when they won the last time, how was it? Well, I, man, I was at that parade. It was a oh, lot nice. of fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh, just like to God. see, even just from an external standpoint, to see the whole city come together to like celebrate a common cause. Yeah. Just, miraculous in and of itself and so yeah. it's just really cool to see when we do win. yeah i always love seeing those like parades like when the cubs won the world series a couple of years ago like the entire city yeah just can't like mil- like over a million people were in that parade right right and like the toronto raptors parade last year was insane for sure yeah yeah, it's, it's, especially yeah, with the be, underdogs. Especially when the underdogs yeah. win. Although I don't think the Baltimore Ravens are an underdog necessarily, but like the Cubs that they hadn't won, and Toronto had never won. So yeah. it's just uh, like that. Those are always fun, and that it's also adds excitement to sports just because then you know it's not going to be the same old, same old yeah. that you always see. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. I don't know how sustainable it is, like you were talking about, going into next season or the following season. Um, obviously, his arm is going to continue to improve, which seems almost eminent at this point, which is fantastic. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if they'll be able to figure it out because being a dual threat, how do you stop both? I know. I don't know. It's, it's intense. Are, are they coming here or are they at, in Houston? I want to say we're home. But okay. that is something I can tell you. God, I, wa- I actually watched that Steelers Browns game live, oh, yeah. like up till oh. the end, through the end as well. <laughs> and like the end was like obviously the most exciting part of that game. Yeah, yeah, just just crazy. Who would have expected how that hall escalated? Yeah. And why I was watching that game, I'll never know. <laughs> it's like the most, the worst game ever up until that point. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm glad I was. I mean, I have feelings about, you know, you try to rip a man's helmet off and then you get your helmet ripped off and then you run up to him and like you're in his I spirit. know. What do you expect is going to happen? <laughs> you poke a bear. But. I know. It was just so insane. Like he... He tried to rip his helmet off, and then he was like, nah, I'm going to rip yours off, and just <laughs> grabbed his helmet. He, I, I still can't get over this. He grabbed his helmet while he was on the ground with one arm and literally pulled this dude up yeah. off the ground with one arm, grabbed his helmet off, and just smashed him with it. I mean- <laughs> That's pretty athletic. That's an athletic move. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the NFL considers that an athletic move. That's a guy, yeah, that's a guy you want on your team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously you can't do that, but I don't think like, yeah, he was obviously provoked there, you know, yeah. but yeah, uh, just unexpected. Yeah, yeah, it was for sure. All right. 
Well, uh, it was fun being on the podcast. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, this is definitely a little more low key than kind of like physionic and stuff like that. So it's always nice to be able to just kind of go where your mind takes you and discuss different yeah. things. Right. And this topic was tailor made for for you guys specifically because <laughs> you guys yeah, know a quite, lot yeah. more about it. It's a, it's fun. I just think it's exciting. You know, I think it's a, I being a neurodevelopmental or neuropsychiatric type guy. I think that this is probably the most exciting thing that we have in terms of neuroscience and research into neuropsychiatric diseases. So yeah, I, I mean, it's new, it's on the cutting edge and it's always cool to be on that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, sometimes somehow it straddles the line between cutting edge and thousands of years of knowledge. Oh, right, right. Yeah, just yeah. Somehow do not Re- a reintroduction time. anyway to yeah. society, which is exciting too. It is exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. Yeah, it is funny. All right, folks. Well, we will catch you next week. Hopefully, you enjoyed our discussion with Mr. Babelis. And uh, yeah, catch you next week. We'll see you later. All right.